I get, a, I get a lump in my throat every time I see that video, and I can't believe that, <laughs> that we as a church get to do this. February 10. I hope you will put it on your calendar right now. February 10. Uh, th- this is a chance for us as a church to be, to be centered in God's love as we celebrate people with special needs. And, uh, you know, we look for ways as a church to celebrate the community, to, to bless the community. And this is just one of the ways. And this is going to be at Sandusky Campus, February 10. It's just incredible. I, I can't, we got selected to do this along with the Church of Norwalk. There's nothing between Toledo and Cleveland. I'm just so glad. Need you to help out. Can you? We're going to need tons of volunteers. You can be part of the paparazzi if you want. Or you can help set up the food. You can help set up, tear down. Um, You can be a buddy, which means that every single uh, person with special needs coming to this needs a buddy, and you will be trained on how to do that. Also, there will be people there that night who are uh, especially equipped to, to help people with special needs, and there are some real special needs. And um, so we, we're, we're going to need hundreds of volunteers, and you qualify. You just need your heart, your heart to bless the community, all right? So that's February 10. What we need for you to do, and I, it's not in your bulletin. I'm not sure why we didn't put it in the bulletin, but it's not there. I need for you to take a picture of that or just have a really good memory and, uh, and just text the word NIGHT to that phone number, and it'll tell you everything you need to know. I'll be there. Many others will be there. It's at Sandusky Campus. Both campuses would love for you to be a part of this, all right? You don't need to be especially equipped. You just need to have a heart for people. We'll take care of everything else, training, all of that, all right? February 10. And if you're you're a snowbird in Florida, um, we'll pay your way back here. And I'm I'm just joking. Let's pray. God, thank you for, uh, I just thank you for the kids in this room earlier leading us in worship. What a great, what a great opportunity. I remember our, our, our own kids, Sunday school teachers by name, and what a blessing they were, and what a, church, what a blessing our church was to them. And we get to do that for these kids here, for the parents of all the kids in this in this church, would you please give them the wisdom and the measure of love needed in their home? Thank you. And then for night to shine, God, that our community would be blessed and that our church would be moved and people's lives could be changed. Thank you that we get to show and share the love of God in a practical way. And now for the opportunity to look at your word written to us. Wow. That you would give us something so tangible by which we could live and understand you better. Thank you. Open our hearts. Open our eyes. Open our minds to understand you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Man, I don't know why I'm so emotional this morning. I must have eaten something for breakfast that just, you know, whatever...
Um, we are in uh, the book of Acts, and we're coming to a close. You know, next week is Acts chapter 28. That's the last chapter in the book. I've loved it so much, the, the book of Acts, and, and a broad stroke, really, what it is. It, it's a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ spreading throughout the world, and it's still doing that today. Come next week so you understand how it all ends, and uh, it's pretty cool. But uh, today, it's, a, it's an interesting chapter. Chapter 27 kind of reads like um, the adventures on the high seas action novel. That's what it reads like. And what we're going to, what I'm going to do in just a few moments is is to read to you. I'm going to take my Bible and actually read to you much of the story. Just want you to listen or, or follow along on your phone or in your Bible, Acts chapter 27. And I'm going to read that to you, uh, uh, and then we'll draw some conclusions, draw some principles for our own lives from this chapter. Uh, but first, what I'd like to do is to give you a little bit of background, and it says, uh, overview of Acts chapter 27, but let me start in chapter 26. This is where we were last week. If you remember, the Apostle Paul is sort of in a courtroom facing this guy named Festus the ruler and King Agrippa and a bunch of other really important people in this room, and here's simple, plain Paul telling his story of faith. And uh, Paul knows all along that he's going to Rome, that he wants to go to Rome. And sure enough, at the end of chapter 26, beginning chapter 27, they say, let's send him to Rome. He's going to go be stand before Caesar. And so they put him on a ship. And Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, of course, he's with them. We'll see the word we now and then. So Luke is with Paul and maybe some others who, who, who are joining them on this ship filled with other people. We'll get into that in just a second. But it's a 2,000-mile sailing journey. Can you imagine? Can you go 2,000 miles in Lake Erie? I don't think so. You'd end up somewhere else, but 2,000 miles. And, and, and it's, a, it's a dangerous journey, and that's okay with Paul. He knows he's going to end up in Rome. God has told him, and he wants to be there anyways. He had just a couple years ago written the book of Romans, the letter to the Romans, which we have, and um, now he gets to go meet them face-to-face. Now, some of you are boaters on Lake Erie, and you have you know, some high-tech navigation equipment. Back then, not so high-tech. Back then, if you couldn't see the land, you needed to navigate by the stars. And um, uh, September uh, was kind of sketchy weather. In November, it was impossible to navigate. This story takes place in October, the year 59 A.D., and so November is just around the corner. The weather turns very, very um, uh, uh, bad, and lives are in peril, as you will see. So what I would like to do is, if you want to follow along in chapter 27, please um, take a look at it with me. I'm going to start at verse 20 and read most of the chapter to you, all right? And then we'll draw some principles from it. And i got to tell you, I'm reading from the New International Version, um, because the, and the New Living Translation that we use in this church, it, the, the print is too small for me. So, can you really, and anybody here relate? Well, it's too small for me, so I'm going to read from this Bible, and even this is tiny, so hang in there with me, all right? I'm going to start at verse 20. Here we go. Paul on the high seas. <clears throat> when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging, We finally gave up all hope of being saved. After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, 
you should have taken my advice. How's that for an I told you so? Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from uh, Crete. Then you would uh, have spared yourselves this damage and loss. Uh, we're not going to read this part, but earlier in the chapter, this was a, what's called a nor'easter. Don't we have those here on Lake Erie? This was a nor'easter of hurricane force winds. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of, the, of God, who, whose I am and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand, be, stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some uh, island. On the 14th night, two weeks, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea when about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the, the, the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern, and prayed for daylight. Aren't you, like, not supposed to drop anchors from the stern? I learned that in boating, I think. Anyway, so I guess you learn over time. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the, from the bow. And then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it fall away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You needed to survive. Not only, not one of you will lose a single hair from his head, after he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of the, uh, them all. And then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. Big boat. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight, when daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and, and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they, ho <clears throat> then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow struck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken in pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping, but the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. 
he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land in safety. That's the end of chapter 27. Man, that was hard reading. Small print's hard for me. About six years ago, I had a terrible bike accident, and one of the eyes was damaged. And so even now, reading smaller print is hard. I'm saying that so you know that I know how to read. That's all. <laughs> That's a true story. I didn't make that up. But I'm still, yeah. Anyway. Okay. What do we learn from this? 276 people on this boat facing hurricane force winds. 275 of them are fearful of how this whole thing is going to end. One of them, who is Paul, understands that God is present. And Paul also understands something else, that he's in this boat for a bigger reason, not just to get to Rome, but to help these others through this storm. It makes me think of the book of Esther. Do you know the book of Esther in the Old Testament? Where she's told that for such a time as this, that famous phrase, for such a time as this, God has put you here to save your people. And I can't help but think that, that Paul, for such a time as this, understands he's on this ship to help these people through this terrible storm. And I look around, and many of you are Christ's followers, and I wonder for such a time as this, who has God put into your life who is facing a storm of some kind? You know the storms, those relational struggles, those fears that we have of the future or of death or unrelenting grief or financial woes or you name what it is for you or for what you're familiar with. How, 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 do you, how do you help somebody out who's facing a storm like that? How, how do you help somebody navigate those hurricane force winds that come into a person's life? Chapter 27 gives us some idea that way. And this is, the, this is the big idea that we're going to follow um, as, as we go through this chapter. And it goes like this. We are all in the same boat, and Jesus has uniquely equipped us to help others. So we do what we can while leaving the results to God. What I'd like to do is to follow the very first one here. We are all in the same boat. Um, this, this is a relatively big boat we're talking about, 276 people. And uh, you have the captain, and I think the owner's there too, and you've got the crew, and you've got the Roman soldiers, and you've got the prisoners. They're all there on board. And we also know that many of them are, are what you call pagans. That means they believe in a variety of different gods, not the one true God as Paul and Luke believe in. But they're all so different. They're all so different. Many religious backgrounds and so on, different in different ways, but at the same time, they're facing what? The same storm. We as people, we are different in many ways, right? But we're united in different ways. How are we united? We, we breathe the same air. We, we eat food. We drink water. We're united in those ways. But one thing that unites us is 
unmistakable is that we face the pains and problems of life. We are all in the same boat. No one is exempt. What does Jesus teach in Matthew chapter 5? That God causes, causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike. And you may be facing one storm, and I may be facing another storm, but at the end of the day, a storm is a storm, and we are all in the same boat. Um, on occasion, in a, in a casual conversation I'm having with somebody, or maybe it's in a more professional way, sitting in my office, and they're sharing something that they're going through that is an unmistakably a storm for them. And I find myself, at times saying something that they need to hear, but it's something that I need to remind myself of that you need to hear, and that is we, we are all in the same boat. Nobody is an island. We all face hardships and difficulties. Maybe you know the name Charles Swindoll or Chuck Swindoll. He's been on the radio for many, many years. He's a favorite pastor of mine, teacher, author, and I have a number of his books on my bookshelf. And um, one time they, they asked the, the radio audience and those in his congregation, what in the world makes Charles Swindoll so popular with people? And, and the answer was clearly this, that he, he is a fellow struggler. <laughs> he is in the same boat with the rest of us. I, I didn't know Teddy Roosevelt said this. I've used this quote for years, but it's Teddy Roosevelt who said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And a primary way that we can care for somebody going through a storm is to take a seat next to them in that boat and face the storm with them. Let me go back to our phrase. We are all in the same boat. And Jesus has uniquely equipped us to help others. I don't know the last time you flew commercially. Um, Seth, who was helping to lead worship, his mom, Frankie, is a, is a flight attendant. So she's very familiar with this diagram. Maybe you are too, as you're flying. And, and what, does the, what does the flight attendant tell you? Uh, before you uh, take one of those drop-down masks and put it on a child, make sure you put one on yourself first because you're of no use if you're unconscious, right? I'm mixing my metaphors. We're in the air now. Let's get back to the boat and talk about Paul. Uh, Paul is in the same boat facing the same storm and uh, as all of these people it's just that he has put on the oxygen mask. Um, for everyone else on board, death is an inevitable thing. They're unsure of the future. And Paul says these words. I want to read these words again to you. I have them on my, on my notes here. This is, what, this is what Paul said. But take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me, and he said, Don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God, it will be just as he said. How could Paul say those words with such 
a sense of comfort and courage. That's because he put on the oxygen mask first. Now, what do I mean by that? Simply this. Paul had a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ, and he could hear and see what others could not. Paul had an absolute confidence that God was in the midst of this storm and with him in the boat. Paul had a confidence because God had spoken to him. I, I think about the book of Hebrews in chapter 4. Maybe you know this, but, but in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, uh, we learn about Christ who is an anchor for the soul, to use another marine metaphor. For Paul, Christ was an anchor for his soul, and so he could have that kind of confidence and courage. He had put the mask on himself, this relationship with Christ. Every now and then I'll talk to somebody who um, will, will, will say something like this, and I, I've said it myself. How, how, in the world, how in the world do you go through the problems and the pains of life without a relationship with God? How in the world do you face this, the, the struggles in life, the storms of life, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And I think that's true. And nevertheless, maybe you've had this experience. You know somebody who's had a vibrant relationship with Christ. And then the storms of life came, and they were just almost unbearable to the point where they felt it seemed like they were going to give up. Do you know the story of Job? When the storm comes into his life, and he loses everything, he's a man on the edge. He's about to give up. Listen, as a Christ follower, as a Christian, the, the most important thing you and I can give somebody is our own relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the most important thing. Your time in God's Word, your time in God's Word, giving you words of encouragement and comfort can be shared now with somebody who is in need. Because you are tuned into the heart of Jesus and looking for ways to live your life as Jesus would live your life if he were you. Now you are looking for ways to come alongside somebody and give to them in meaningful ways. Just the other day, I was in the car with my wife, Annette, and she was texting somebody as I was driving. And I said, who are you texting? She's, she, it was a friend who I knew was going through a really, she is going through a really dark time. And what was Annette doing? She was texting her a favorite scripture from a favorite scripture from the Bible, to bring encouragement to her. In my years as pastoring and before that as a Christian, I can tell you there have been times where it just seemed like God was inaccessible. It's like God had closed his ears. It's like God was blind. It's like, God, can't you see what I'm going through? Can't you hear my prayers? And then different people, would come to me. And while, while Christ seemed inaccessible to me, it was like they ended up being Christ to me. And I just want to say there are people in your life right now who are facing the storms of life, and you can be 
like Christ to them. The most important thing you can give them is your own personal relationship with Jesus. So that's why we talk about nurturing that relationship with Christ. Let me go back to our phrase. We're almost done. We're all in the same boat, and Jesus has uniquely equipped us to help others. And so we do what we can while leaving the results to God. I think um, in this story, a cardinal principle we learn is that God has a role and Paul has a role. Um, Paul uh, has a role to, uh, uh, let me start with God. God has, God's role is to determine the outcome of the storm. Paul's role is not to determine the outcome of the storm. But Paul does have a role, and it's twofold. I want to go back and read to you a little bit of what I read earlier, and it goes like this. Just as day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. You have been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks, he said. Please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair of your heads will perish. Listen to this. Then he took some bread gave thanks to God before them all, and broke off a piece and ate it. And then everyone was encouraged and began to eat, all 276 of of us who were on board. So, Paul had a twofold role. On one hand, these guys were hungry. And hungry men are useless men, as somebody said. And so he simply fed them. He gave them bread to nourish them. That was an important part. He met a physical need. He met a very practical need. But on the other hand, did some of the words we just read sound familiar to you at all? This is what we read. Then he took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, and broke off a piece and ate it. Doesn't it? If you've been around church for any length of time, doesn't it sound like he's introducing the Lord's Supper, a time of, of communion? He took some bread, gave thanks to them all, for, uh, to God before them all, and broke off a piece and ate it. What Paul is doing here is giving thanks to the gracious provision of God, who has provided the bread but who has also provided the bread of life, who is Jesus himself. And this was in front of pagans, too. Not deterred to give thanks to God and to point to God. I think one of the hard truths in life is that we are not in charge of the storms of life. We, you and I as humans, we, we do, our role is not to determine the outcome of the storm. That's God's role. But we do have a role. On one hand, it is like Paul to give bread. That is to to look for ways we can practically help somebody. Maybe that's a listening ear, just sitting down with somebody. Maybe it's raking their leaves or providing a meal or whatever it might be, whatever the need might be. That's one thing that we can do. That's one of our roles. But the second role we have is to point them to God with our own lives, with our own devotion to Christ, with our own words. Point them to God who alone 
can help them through the storm. God determines the outcome of the storm, but we can do certain things within the storm, practical and spiritual. Now let me close just for a moment and say this, that some of you in this room may be um, going through a storm right now, and it seems like God has not heard you. He does not see you. It seems like he is inaccessible. He is nowhere to be found. It's, it's important for us to remember that God himself, in the person of Jesus, went through the worst storm ever. He is familiar with storms. He hung on the cross. The sky turned completely black as he took the sins of the world onto himself and all the while experiencing excruciating physical pain. And while he was on the cross, he said something interesting. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? There's a couple of truths we need to remember. The one is this is that Jesus took the abandonment of his father onto himself so that you and I could know, those of you who are, and I who are in Christ could know that at no time would God ever abandon us. And that even means in the middle of the storm you are, find yourself in right now. And the second thing is this. It, one day, Jesus is going to end all storms. And between this day and that day, we are called to trust him and look for ways to help others through the storm. I don't know if it's still up there or not. We're all in the same boat, and Jesus has uniquely equipped us to help others. So we do what we can while leaving the results to God. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word, and thank you for the comfort that we draw even from this passage. We can trust you in the storms of life. And you want to use us to bring comfort and courage to others. Lead us to people even this week. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.